This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic. I have a problem. I look like Jared Padalecki. I got them Supernaturals. So my value right now is zero. If you think about it, AI is actually the fastest path to communism. Enforced farming is really not a vibe. Hello, pay pigs. Hello. Hi, pay pigs. Um, happy Valentine's Day. We're doing the thing that we were doing earlier. We were answering your calls and your questions that you sent us um, and giving you divine feminine guidance. Um, and someone sent in a question that we're going to start with where they asked, is there any um, validity to the ethical slut by Easton and Hardy? Any big criticisms? Um, which I then immediately went to read. I like got through. Yeah, never kind read it before. Yeah, had never read Neither it before. Was. I had heard of the book, but um, this, okay, so this is maybe, I don't know if this is rude of me, but I feel like if you have to put like ethical before something, like you're just working a little bit too hard. So it like, and I'm also just not, um, like I'm not like a self-help book reader. Like you'll never catch mm -hmm. me reading like the seven habits of successful people or like how to win friends and influence people. I know uh -huh. how to do that. Yeah. Why would I need well, a book? I mean, like this those books like are great for some some people, but I think it's just like not not my cup of tea. I will never learn um the seven mm -hmm. habits of highly successful people. Well and actually can I that's can okay. I actually I have a tangent about the seven habits of highly effective people. Yes, yes. That yes. guy's uh, son also wrote a book but for teens and it was the seven habits of highly effective teens. And my mom got it for me. I don't think she realized that like that dude is like very heavy into like, you know, not like the most based kind of Christianity. And so like all of his takes about um, uh, porn and drugs were um, very much incorrect. And I already knew that from the beginning because I had read other more progressive uh, teen books about like uh, marijuana and like sex um, education. So, like, when he started talking about, you know, he's like, actually, a marijuana cigarette is actually um, the equivalent of smoking, like, two, like, ten packs a day. I was like, mm, I don't think that's accurate or true. And the source that you cited is from, like, a very, a, a very adamant, like, anti-drug <laughs> website that I don't think actually, like, is very, uh, like, non-biased. Or, like, when he's like, if you have sex before marriage, um you can say that like any like you you can say that like a blowjob or a handjob is like not sex before marriage but any touch before marriage is like it's going to ruin you for life and you're going to become addicted to sex so and, one of the habits is definitely not getting railed a couple times a month yes yes it Got was it. it was a really nutso book to read uh, as a kid because i had already read things like um it's so amazing, which is this book from like the nineties, um, that got banned a couple of times in a couple other, uh, school districts, um, for being like a pretty progressive book for the time. It, um, established that, uh, like, like it shows like full color pictures of like different people's bodies. It, uh, spent a lot of time talking about the difference between like 
sexual attraction and um, like love and relationships and how like you can love the people in your life that are um, that you're not sexually attracted to like your mom or your pet because it's for like six year olds. Um, and then there's been a lot of time talking about like HIV and AIDS. Like it was actually a pretty uh, open book for the time um, as well as started like talking about like drugs and how like they interact with the body. Um, Cause it, it was written, I believe by like a, like children's uh, psychologist um, and like sexual educator. Um, so I had already read that like young, at a younger age. So reading this, I was like, well, that contradicts like all the other stuff that I read before. So I don't really know if this is like an effective habit to say that like sex, any kind of sexual contact will immediately make you addicted to sex, like drugs. Also, that's not a um, habit. Yeah. The habit, really I, a like, habit. I don't know Abstinence if you can call it. Yeah, it's not a habit. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, we were asked to give our opinions on a book that we hadn't read. And as much as I like the idea of just like making stuff up, um, it kind of fits fits in with what we want to be doing with um, our Patreon um, sometimes, which is like, we, we do love to read. We love, well, Kendall likes to watch movies. I'll watch some of them. Um, and like, we've gotten a lot of really good, like recommendations from people or people want us to respond to things. And so, um, I think that something that we'll be doing occasionally is like using our Patreon episodes to like dive more deep into some of these things that like I haven't heard of, or, um, maybe we have read or like watched them and like giving our thoughts on them. So we're doing that with this one because that was the uh first question that was asked to us i'm gonna i'm gonna like my short answer for this question um is there any validity to it uh i i would say like no no (laughs) not really um i think that the idea behind the ethical slut is not bad um of like here is a guide of how to be non-monogamous, although they don't like the term non-monogamy because it normalizes monogamy. Um, but, you know, whatever. Like, they, the it gives you, like, a guideline of, like, how to go into non-monogamy in a way that, like, is going to, um, like, help you, like, respect other people's boundaries, like, figure out your own. Um, those things sound nice um but the way that they like have put together this book actually like exemplifies like a lot of my problems with uh polyamorous people and the way Mm -hmm. that they talk about polyamory where it kind of like presents this like it's it's just one way of like existing in relationships or like one kind of relationship that you can have to sex and then presenting it as like this is the most correct way to do this and it's also like the only way to do it if you want to be happy um and it like I think like seeps into my problems with like the sex positivity movement as well Mm -hmm. um and I feel like we'll get more into that when we eventually do our like lacy green retrospective um but I found this quote from it where I like I feel like it's just it's doing the thing 
um, <laughs> um, where the one of the authors is saying, I remember telling a recently divorced colleague, a woman of greater conventional beauty, wealth, and desirability than I, that since my breakup, I'd never spent a weekend night alone except by choice. She, miserable in her husband hunting struggles, couldn't believe it. And at the time, I didn't have the words to explain to her how attractive, happy, guilt-free, non-committal sex could make a person. First of all, if you are telling some like unhappy recently divorced person like yeah i get laid every night like that's rude like yeah, why are you doing why are you doing that but it's <laughs> weird that you have to mention that she's like a woman of greater conventional beauty than mm-hmm. you are and she's more desirable you say wealth but like you seem to be focused mostly on her appearance and how she's like you're uglier than her for some reason and how like that proves that like oh just because you're beautiful doesn't mean that you get laid and I actually get laid way more. Um, yeah. Feels well, a bit- <laughs> also, like, okay, this person in the example, um, the divorced woman, like, has a, uh, like, a goal or a standard for her relationship. She wants to be married. She's seeking, mm-hmm. like, another relationship that's going to end in marriage. Um, and she's not happy because she hasn't found that. This person's solution is, like, radically alter your standards um and want what i want um and then you'll be happy because i'm happy yeah (laughs) which is um i think like a lot of how uh like sex positivity works is it like assumes that like people's motivations or reasonings for like wanting things are wrong and that they should have yours and then like naturally they will want to do what you are doing i think that the like woman in this example should probably not be hunting for a husband um like also but i think that the reason for that is like you shouldn't be like attaching your happiness to whether or not you're in a relationship with a man and it is strange to me that like a feminist text um because the people who wrote this like assert many different times that this is like the way that they practice feminism would be telling a woman like no just like have sex with more men and then you'll be happy rather than like you should find some kind of like self-sufficiency and like confidence in being independent um and yeah, I mean, I like think- not finding happiness in your attachment to men like you said it's a problem that we've had with like the sex positivity movement um but also i think just like general um pop and choice feminism which is this idea that like if you just reverse engineer the same structure that you live in um and make it um either more or less um like you do more or less of the thing that you were expected to do that somehow that will intrinsically in and of itself liberate you in some way um so either you like do you want to, you know, grow out your armpit hair and wear no makeup and dress like, you know, a, a butch lesbian? Or do you, like, do you want eyeliner sharp enough to kill a man and, like, put on heels at the end of the day and, you know, trot around the house because you're a girl boss? Um, and it's the same thing with, like, sex of just, like, it's 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 a have or have not situation where it's, like, mm, like their their mode of thinking is like "Mm, if you go into it looking for a husband you'll find no one um 
which like isn't exactly wrong um but also instead of that you should instead look into uh having sex with a bunch of men that will uh give you no emotional intimacy um or only give you like some of what you want rather than all of what you want um and just that your standards are somehow more repressive than mine but they are all within the same structure of um needing to be happy um in just a different form of companionship yeah i think the other thing that i uh found difficult about this book was that like it um like wants you to change the relationship that you have to sex um and do what they are doing which is like pursuing pleasure for its own sake um with as many partners as they want um and doesn't really like spend a lot of time acknowledging um, like power structures and also like interpersonal power dynamics that might make that difficult. Um, and like I, I just I feel especially reluctant about anything that recommends that like heterosexual women uh, in particular like just like have as much sex as they feel like they're supposed to with like straight men in order to feel like liberated or empowered I think that something that I noticed when like sex positivity was like at its height in the past 10 years was that it like led a lot of women to make decisions that they were not actually comfortable with but thought were the thing that they should be doing in order to be enlightened and I think that like definitely you should do whatever you want do whatever you feel comfortable with like don't feel like you have to be limiting yourself. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't like be following the advice of the people who are like, you should never have sex on the first date no. because it's bad, you know? But I, I think that- um, Or like your virginity is like a flower and it must be given to the right person. And, you know, otherwise you you will be like used and, and um, unworthy of yeah. companionship but or I, love. I think that the like conflation between- like um, having sex with like many partners or often or like trying new things all the time uh, with like being liberated from patriarchy like can lead women in particular um, to a lot of like harm because they want to prove to themselves that they've like gotten over um, like sexual repression and it's also like I mean I don't know you've met leftist men like mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they love using that as like a line of reasoning for why someone Sexual should do something that they're not aid. they're not comfortable with um and i think it's it's much better to just like rather than like creating some sort of like one size fits all like everyone should definitely like be non-monogamous and like have uh, tons of partners all the time and like if someone wants monogamy from you or you want monogamy from someone else like that's a sign that you're still repressed. Like, that's bad. I think it's also Mm -hmm. bad to, like, tell people that it's, you know, like, an act of desperation to, like, have sex on the first date if that's what you want to do Mm -hmm. or to, like, be open about your sexuality. I think what's going to work for everyone is is going to be different. And I think that instead you just, like, need to personally like evaluate your relationship to sex but you you can't be like trying to follow a guideline of what being sexually liberated looks like because even if you are 
that which i don't know if really anyone can be like when we live in a sexually repressive society but if you like feel like you are we still live like under patriarchy like we still live in a very like homophobic like society Mm -hmm. like there's going to be consequences for doing things that like even you feel comfortable with and i think it's like it's, it's fine to just like you got you got to do what you want and i think that that's that's my my issue with like a lot of these like polyamorous non-monogamy like guides is that it like assumes that there is a right way to be and then like works backwards from that like there's another passage in it that um says okay even people who consider themselves sex positive and sexually liberated often fall into a different trap um, of rationalizing sex releasing sexual tension relieving menstrual symptoms maintaining mental uh, mental health uh, preventing prostate problems making babies cementing relationships are all admirable goals and wonderful side benefits of sex but they are not what sex is for sex is for pleasure a complete and worthwhile goal in and of itself. People have sex because it feels good and then they feel good about themselves. I think that that's wonderful if that's how you feel, but I think it's also okay if like, <laughs> like you have other, other reasons for wanting to have sex besides just like wanting to get pleasure for its own sake. And I don't think it makes you like, a bad feminist, uh, for example, if like that is how you feel. Um, it's, I don't know, like it's just all a little bit like goofy to me. It leans itself towards, I think, uh, a, a dangerous amount of essentialism. Um, mm-hmm. Because if we, if we think about it just for pleasure, um, I think then we start getting into this territory of like, well, if you, because I've seen a lot of people, like I think in modern discourse, um, be very befuddled by the idea of a lesbian who has had either in the past or even more currently uh, sex with a man for some reason. And I think uh, we get into this dangerous territory when we talk about sex as if it's only for pleasure, where these people get really befuddled by that idea because they're like, well, if you're a lesbian and you're sexually attracted to women, why would you have sex with a man? Um, and I think at a certain point we have to think of, uh, people, um, in, in a more nebulous form because sometimes people have sex because they're bored. Sometimes people have sex, uh, for the reason of fertility. Sometimes people have sex, um, because they need a release for some reason. Um, people have sex for all kinds of different reasons, um, than just pleasure. And the, and especially like it, it, it ignores the idea that there is a social construct as to why someone would have sex. Well, and that um, that is also the other part of this book that, like, I was really hoping that they weren't going to do it, but they did it. Um, and it's my least favorite kind of argument that anyone could ever make, so, ne- so never do it, which is uh, lifetime monogamy as an ideal is a relatively new concept in human <laughs> history and makes us unique among primates. There is nothing that can be achieved within a long-term monogamous relationship that can't be achieved without one business partnership, one romantic attachment, stable parenting, personal growth, and care and companionship during the aging process are all well within the abilities of the, the slut, the ethical slut. So I, I don't <laughs> like bioessentialist arguments. I don't like 
things that say that like humans have to only follow their base instincts um I think that what makes us interesting as a species and like separates us from the rest of the animals is that we uh, do things that go against our base instincts all the time. And we have the ability to like make choices that differ from just like getting our immediate needs met. The fact that you're like not shitting into a hole outside uh, <laughs> is, I don't know, like an example that humans sometimes do things that are different from primates. Um, and I, I don't think that that's like a good reason to base any kind of like behavior off of. And I think it also has like a lot of, um, if you, like if that's a, an argument that holds weight with you, like you can use that for a lot of other things that are not so great. Um, I mean, it's, it's I, an argument that, like, men make to have sex with women. When mm-hmm. they're like, we're base creatures, we need that release. Yeah. Um, and no, you're, <laughs> a, you're a person with, like, free will. You have the ability to make choices regardless of your base desires. I also hate this very tired argument with some polyamorous people where they're just like, monogamy is, like, actually a really new concept and, like, there isn't actually, like, a lot of like first of all animals but just like as as humans it's a relatively new concept because we used to live so communally and so like it didn't really matter whose kid was whose and it's like it didn't matter whose kid was whose like you like as a community obviously you all treasured your children and like I can't prove like with any certainty that like non-monogamy didn't exist like before this point in history but to act as though um that like monogamy is a relatively new concept and therefore um, it is a concept that should be done away with, um, I think is, is, is just Yeah, like, are all uh, new bad. ideas of structuring society bad? Because like um, that would imply that like any new idea we have for structuring current society, like as it stands, which is, let, let's be honest, it kind of sucks right now um we do we do live in a society i think the the thing the thing that is interesting in here that makes me wish that this was like a different book written by someone else um is this part because i do feel like right now in this in this very moment in time we're heading into a period of uh i think like much more extreme sexual puritanism than we've seen I think in the past like few decades. Um, and I, I think that there's uh, reasons for that that like mirror historical movements and, that, and that's in here too, where it says Willem Reich, and I'm not sure if I'm getting this name right because they're German, put forth an interesting theory in his lectures to young communists in Germany in 1936 during the rise of Hitler. Reich theorized that without the suppression of sexuality and the imposition of anti-sexual morality, you could not have an authoritarian government because people would be free from shame and trust their own sense of right and wrong. And this is like actually something that I've been thinking about a little bit because I was reading Marcuse's On Hedonism, um, and he says something a little bit similar where he says, like, no human could tolerate the tension between labor as being valuable in itself and the freedom of enjoyment. The unpurified, unrationalized release of sexual relationships would be the strongest release of enjoyment as such touch and the total devaluation of labor for its own sake. The dreariness and injustice of work conditions would penetrate explosively 
Thank you, Marcuse. Uh, the consciousness of individuals and make impossible their peaceful subordination to the social system of the bourgeois world. And like in this instance, like you have to think about what Germany was like asking of people, which was like to be in uh, heterosexual relationships for the purpose of making children that also like modeled uh, eugenic ideals of racial purity. And mm-hmm. so your own desires about like what kind of person you want to have sex with, what kind of relationship you want to have, like all of that was like secondary to what the state was asking of you. And there's like a similar sort of like mirror to, um, you know, like the, the state like demanding labor of you that you like don't really like get to see any personal enjoyment from or any personal like fulfillment from. And Marcuse like, I think illustrates this like connection between uh, like heightened like sexual puritanism and and also just like more regulation around experiencing pleasure in general, like having any kind of fun and also like the increased need for the the state to like regulate labor in a very strict way. And I think that that's like interesting. I think it has like, I mean, it, it was like obviously true in that instance. And I can see that kind of happening again now where like the, there's this like weird like trad movement happening mm-hmm. at the same time that like definitely like um, there's an increased like pressure on uh, like our labor output and mm-hmm. the kind of work that like needs to be done. And I think that there's like certainly many of those like eugenic ideals that are floating around um, that get in the way of like, you know, what, what kinds of relationships people want to have. Like, I, I think a lot about like the way that people are regulating trans people's bodies right now. And a lot of it has to do with like, um, like this is like a subversion of the ideal, like heterosexual, like, relationship like this person existing in this way like gets in the way of like something that we as a society should be striving for um and so I'm really interested in like breaking that down and like subverting those ideals but I don't think that that needs to be done by every single person through polyamory and I feel like in fact it's it's kind of like a neoliberal solution to the problem not that being polyamorous is neoliberal but but saying like these oppressive forces like exist um the way to counteract them is by you personally like fucking and sucking whoever you want rather than like collectively like working towards like a future where people are able to be in the kinds of relationships that they want to be in um like, which is not to say that you can't do what you want, but just like that as the solution in itself um, doesn't, it doesn't quite sit right with me. Yeah. I mean, we're coming towards a moment of like, and we already are in um, a, a moment of great, like fin- financial, not only like inequality, but insecurity with a lot of people. And we're on the, the we're on the teetering precipice of a, of a recession. And I'm seeing a lot of young women in particular getting into this mode of thinking of like, they're only half joking when they start tweeting out or like making TikToks about like, oh, uh, like women's rights was a mistake. Like I kind of wish that I was just like at home. Yeah, like the, the sugar babyfication of like yeah, ev- everyone. Of everyone. And I think it's like, and there, I've seen quite a few <laughs> like uh, doo-doo brained uh, 
polyamorous TikTokers make these points of like, actually, if you're in a relationship with more than one person, your finances are actually more secure because you have more than one person and you all share. Um, and that's like, sure, it's an ideal. I mean, if, uh, hold if on, that- hold on. What's three times zero? <laughs> it also is just like it points to this idea of like so like instead of being financially um beholden to one guy you're financially beholden to two other people like it's it you're you're working within the same system with your your points but i just don't think a polyamorous relationship does not imply like the negation of sexism of racism of like homophobia making itself known in your relationship. It's just as possible there as it is within a monogamous relationship. And I think like what Mark Hughes is trying to get at in this essay is that like hedonism um, is actually like the way that people within like a repressive society are able to like pursue pleasure, but it's at the expense of like this like collective goal of like, everyone experiencing gratification he says hedonism wants to preserve the development and gratification of the individual as a goal within an anarchic and impoverished reality but the protest against the reified community against the meaningless sacrifices which are made to it only leads to deeper isolation and opposition between individuals as long as the historical forces that could transform the society into a true community have not matured and are not comprehended. For hedonism, happiness remains something that is exclusively subjective um, for the particular interests of the individual, just as it is affirmed as the true interest and is justified against every and all community. So like basically just saying that the, the limit of hedonism is like making the pursuit of like pleasure all about the individual um, and like putting you in competition with other people because there's like a finite amount of like happiness um, mm-hmm. that people can have. And like in a, in a, in a just world, like you would be able to like experience like happiness and pleasure that wouldn't come at the expense of other people's. Um, and I think that like finding ways to express that dynamic like within a relationship is like a very noble goal um but it all it needs to like be coupled with like finding ways to like organize uh to make that happen like in the rest of the world otherwise you're just like an individual in competition with other individuals for a finite amount of happiness and I think that that's like really where my issues with this book lie um where it like paints all of these. I mean, it, it, it gives you a really good description of all of the problems in the world with like why people have fucked up relationships to sex because of like sexual trauma and like it mentions sexual puritanism and homophobia and like sexism. And then it's like, and the solution to that is for like you personally to become polyamorous. And it's like, yeah, what? Like, but the rest of the things are still happening. We got to get rid of those things. You can be polyamorous all you want. And that's great. And like, I hope you have a fantastic time. But like, we also got, we have to get rid of 
the bad stuff. It's a philosophy that masks itself as communal um, when instead it is like hyper individual of like, but instead of the individual just being you and maybe a husband, it's um, an individual and two other individuals <laughs> or more. Um, and it's not that polyamory is um, bad or that it is uh, inherently worse than monogamy, but the argument that uh, somehow it is like inherently liberating is uh, w- without any of the work that has to go into it of unpacking your both your sexual traumas as a group, um, the communal inequity um, between you and how you can um, level that, but also the inequity in your own community. If you believe so strongly that um, polyamory um, is like a foundation of your philosophy, that it liberates people into communal spaces. And I do think like, to a certain extent, some of the points that are brought up a lot about polyamory, about like how as like a familial structure, you are not recognized by the state um, because you know, the state only recognizes like individual nuclear families. I think that's a perfectly, you know, valid argument to make, um, towards polyamory and how like it's, 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 um, you know, subjected to a lot of like, incredible scrutiny in the face of like, like, but it's, it's not, but that's not time, just polyamory. That's like a yeah. facet of our, like, exactly our like patriarchal, um, like and if that's a facet society because I mean like yeah. uh, gay couples have their right to like raise children questioned all the time trans people have gotten their marriages like legally dissolved f- simply for the fact of being trans like there is not approved yeah <laughs> there of. are exactly- there's one kind of relationship that is like um accepted and mm-hmm. it is a like cis hetero relationship uh between two able-bodied people yeah that will hopefully produce uh children is that are white white. (laughs) um and that's that's the thing is that like if you especially if you are like a white polyamorous triad with like you know in, in with like two men and a woman um i'm not saying that you don't like experience like uh scrutiny from the state because of like your polyamory because it is not approved but you should um understand and unpack uh if you are facing that scrutiny um what are other people in your community facing if you're facing that scrutiny just like understanding where it comes from and that it's Mm -hmm. not that like polyamorous people are uniquely oppressed but that like any kind of relationship that doesn't fit under this like patriarchal structure um is is a relationship that is like not going to be accepted and i think that that will become even more true sooner we gotta watch out for that mm-hmm. um and that's why I th- i'm like really interested in exploring this idea more and i wish that there was something written by someone uh like not these people about how to get at this ideal that marcuse talks about because he doesn't give you like a guideline of Mm -hmm. like what collective like happiness or collective pleasure would mean um and I guess that's like up to us to imagine but I don't think I've figured out 
yet how to imagine it. So that's something that I'm thinking about. I might write something when I get done thinking about it um, with a friend, but we'll see. Um, But this is a thing that we can do about books now is we can talk about them. I hope that you liked that. We have other questions that are less about making us read books. Um, Kendall, do do you want to pick the next one? Yeah. I just found uh, those little anime hug pillows in my boyfriend's closet, and they're all Pokemon. When I ask him about it, he tells me that it's just make-believe. But I just found fleshlights shaped like Pikachu's puss. I need to know what to do. So, wait, what part is make-believe? Like, that he's, like into that like that that he has a, a little thing for the hug pillows like this is just is a it, is, fa- it is it ironic is it like, like or like like this is just a fantasy like don't worry babe yeah. yeah i mean i mean if it was a fantasy then the then the fleshlights would be mm-hmm. um like not a surprise I, I was going to ask like do they make pikachu fleshlights but i guess everything can be turned- i assume it's kind of a What's that philosophy where it's just like if you think it? Pikachu's it a mouse. That's like yeah. Rule Thirty Four, right? Yeah, yeah, Pikachu, yeah. Pikachu's Pikachu a mouse. That's mouse a that's a kind of being a furry. Ah, uh, but it's almost not. I think only because like you're they already exist in a canon. I don't know. I would well, I would break up with this boyfriend not because of the hug pillows or the flashlights per se, but I don't like the idea of a man who keeps secrets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doesn't matter the what secrets. those secrets are. Like, you've got to be up front, uh, maybe not on day one, maybe date like four, mm-hmm. and be like, babe, I love like Pikachu, I, I Pikachu body pillows. Like, I need to know about this so I can make an informed decision about how I feel about you and to hide it. Um, I would say that's, because that's I, a love, deal breaker. I love a stunt and I love to give people one more chance um, is really? to take well to take those pillows and that flashlight that you found and and set them up on the bed in a really in a really romantic way say nothing about it don't don't like proposition him for anything but just you know let him be alone with those with those five things let him know that you know and then see what he says. Will he justify it? Will he will he explain him like one more chance, and then you're out? If he says once again, like, did you put this on the bed? Oh my god, it's just like it's ironic. It's just an ironic. I'm just doing it for it's like a meme, babe. Like, don't worry about it. Um, I think that's the point where you just gotta hit the bricks. Um, Have you? I, just, ever... I love a stunt. I love I love letting people know that I know. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever known a person to have one of the like a like a a body pillow in I, real life? I got one as a gag gift once. Yeah. Did you keep <laughs> um, it? I did because it was it was very funny and it was also a very good pillow because I have like weird hips. So like when I sleep at night, it was good to like. You used it. I used it because it was actually really helpful because <laughs> it's like a full <gasps> body pillow. Oh my gosh! Who was it? Who it was, was it? Sasuke. <laughs> Stop. Adult Sasuke. And then uh, Lil B was performing at our college, and I thought it it was funny. Um, And a lot of people didn't get why it was funny. That happens to me a lot, where I, like, I commit to a bit, 
Um, and I think it's really funny, but other people just are like, oh, like you're serious, but they're, they don't like really understand that like that's, I'm doing a bit, like this is a bit that I'm doing. Speaking I'm of Sasuke, I have a line from literature that I have memorized um, against my will, I guess. Um, maybe you know it. It goes, oh, Sasuke, <laughs> you have much to learn about <laughs> sex as well as Marxism-Leninism. So sometimes fan fiction is good, is what you're saying. Yeah, sometimes fan fiction is good. And they give us bangers like that. Yeah. Or like, what's the one about like, Obama, you'll never like catch the chaos emeralds. That one's great. That um, one's also great. Yeah, love that one. I, I did know a guy once with an anime body pillow and I learned this information um, without really any desire to know anything about him where someone was throwing like a like a sleepover party thing and he was invited um, and he brought it. Um, I... He's he lives in Japan now. He's teaching English. Uh, so okay, I thought, I yeah. thought bringing it to a Lil B concert would be funny because he's like you know he was like the meme kind of rapper, um, and had done like several songs about anime. And I thought it was funny. And he actually pointed it out and thought it was funny. But every like once again, Sarah Lawrence is like a school full of people who like take it a little too seriously like they want to believe that they're like a little well, ironic and Sarah funny, Lawrence is not. a school full of white girls from Connecticut they are and it's it's it bothers me as a, as a reformed one because I mm -hmm. I truly believe that like if you commit to the bit it's really funny one time I went to the sleaze ball which was the like end of the of like slut week which was like this whole sleaze week Sleaze Week was this whole thing <laughs> on campus where they were like, oh, we're like celebrating sex and sex positivity, blah, blah, blah. We look, look at vintage porn films in the fucking library or whatever. I feel like this is a legal liability, talks. legal liability it, for a college to be doing well, anything that, like that. Like, over time, the sleaze ball, like by the time I got there, the sleaze ball had been so watered down that like no one actually had sex. They just kind of like dressed up in lingerie and like, like, like stood around uncomfortably. And I thought like it was just like, it would be funny if I showed up in a morph suit. And so I did. Um, and like, then later when I left, I went on Yik Yak. If you remember Yik Yak, um, I feel sorry for you. Showing um, your age here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really, truly. Um, I go on Yik Yak and somebody had written like a whole fucking paragraph about how like, to whoever, who, to whoever the person was in the morph suit, like you just like were making fun of everyone. And like, you just like, you just don't understand sex positivity and you're like, blah, 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 blah. Like I was just like, that I was being like sex phobic um, by showing up and having a good time um, and being funny because everyone else was just like literally standing around in like, you know, Amazon lingerie and uh, just kind of, you know, putting like, like shuffling their feet around. Um, <laughs> so I thought I was like livening up the party, but apparently... I was um, committing some kind of sex positivity hate crime um, by well, being hilarious. Would be cool if you did. <laughs> yeah. Would, would be, be cool, cool if you did. It would be cool if I did. So this one's like a more serious question that we got, um, but I'll, re I'll read it. They, they, several very serious questions. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting that people want us to direct their lives, um, but I, I can totally understand why they would want that. They said, hi. 
I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I've been listening ever since the Joss Whedon episode came out. I hope you went back and listened to the ones before that, but thank you. My romance question, since the two of you talk about being they thems a lot, is <laughs> that I'm also non-binary and bisexual, and I have a hard time trying to figure out how to navigate my gender identity in dating. What I'm saying is that I'm attracted to men, but I don't want men to see me as a woman while dating them. The obvious solution would be to only date bisexual men, but I don't see that as a guarantee that they wouldn't be me as a woman. How do you know when someone is attracted to you in a misgendering way as a woman versus when they are respecting your actual gender? I would say you kind of you kind of don't. I feel yeah. like this is very similar to the to the politics question. I feel like yeah. I okay. So I don't know if this is like controversial, uh, and and if if this doesn't work. For someone, then, you know, maybe it doesn't work. But I feel like you can't be relying on other people to, like, validate your gender um, and, and to, like, feel, like, good about yourself because, like, I just I just don't... I think, it like, it leads you onto a path of just, like, feeling bad a lot um, and it's just, like, not a good place for you to, like, mentally be in. And I think you also can get yourself into trouble using dating and sex as a way to like to validate your gender um, because that can be how you end up with people that are like fetishizing. Um, mm-hmm. And I I just, yeah, like I, I think that like you have to feel secure in yourself um, and then like approach dating with that. And I personally don't really get that hung up on how someone identifies like um like sexual orientation wise like before they start dating me because like people can feel like they were straight or gay or whatever their whole lives and then they like meet someone and they're like oh I'm actually like attracted to more than just the kind of person that I thought I was attracted to and like that's very common so I feel like someone like identifying as straight or whatever and then like being interested in me doesn't mean anything about how they see me and I think I'll find out the way that they see me based on how they treat me Mm -hmm. um and that will be like what makes me decide whether or not I want to keep seeing them because you can tell when someone is like heterosexualizing you versus like (laughs) any anything else um and I I think that that's like all that I need to know is like, like what kind of dynamic are they trying to bring into the relationship? Um, and like, are they trying to like make me be a woman for them all the time? Or am I just like a person? Um, yeah, I feel and like that's, it's, that's good it's enough. a question. It's a question of your intuition. Right. Um, and like, I know that like, this might disappoint you um, because like, it kind of sounds like we're saying, listen to your gut and be yourself. Yeah. Um, Cause like, but like, unfortunately, <laughs> Like, I think it, it's more of a, it more comes from a place of like, um, dating is not necessarily, and, and dating and relationships in general are, are not really about, um, they're not always about how the other person, um, views you or how, or how you are together, but also how you, um, uh, view yourself because, um, a lot, like it's, it is, it is generic, but it is true of, like, if you don't nurture yourself and your identity, 
um, you're not, you're not going to find, um, people that, that respect you as much as you value yourself. Like I value myself very, very highly. Um, and so I have a very low tolerance, um, for people who, uh, like very, like I can tell through my, like through at least my gut, um, that clearly don't value me either through their verbiage or just through their actions. Um, and I'm also kind of psychotic about like just asking direct questions. So obviously like this is something that <laughs> will probably not work for everyone, but um, I spend a lot of time just saying like, hey, um, you've been talking to me in this way um, and it just makes me feel like maybe you don't see me the way that um, I see myself. Uh, and I just, I don't know if that means that you don't really respect what I've put in front of you, but um, I don't really tolerate um, that kind of disrespect towards me. Okay, Kenny, this is, so if you were in a parallel universe where you're not married and your partner, I, I guess they don't exist, I'm sorry. Um, okay. would, you, would you, as a she-they who's a woman for the sake of an argument mostly, mm-hmm. um, are you like cool with dating people who are like, I'm exclusively attracted to women? Like whether they are men or women or like anything yeah. else? I mean, here's the thing. The reason I'm not is because my community is so centered around, um, like, queerness and people who are, like, in the LGBT community Mm -hmm. that I just feel like those worlds don't mesh for me as much as they they should. Um, I feel like it would really kind of depend on whether or not that person would be willing to envelop themselves in that world, but it just, like... To me, it's always, I've always felt this like very stark difference between me and my straight friends that I do have, um, that like, I just, I, I just don't know if that's something that I could like deal with on like an intimacy level mm-hmm. because just like my world is very, very gay. <laughs> like, yeah. In general, fair. like my, my, my like my not just my social circle but like my lifestyle yeah is is pretty so so it would be less about like uh this is giving me like dysphoria or it like feels misgendering or like anything like that or like i don't want to be a part of this dynamic yeah it's it's more just like i just don't know if like our worlds really mesh um Mm -hmm. but that's that's really a personal thing you know, um, I don't think that that's necessarily the way it is for everyone. Um, I just personally just feel like, you know, e- every time, honestly, like being being in straight friend groups uh, and like in straight social situations does give me a bit of like weird dysphoria in some ways. Because I do like, especially in like work situations, I've had moments where I just feel like you do just view me um, as this one thing. And it does make me feel, like, resentful in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so I don't know if it's something that, like, I'm willing, personally, to change in, in other people um, if I'm going to be, like, intimate with them so much as, like, I want somebody who will at least take the time to unpack that within themselves Yeah, a little more um, rather than uh, having to spend a lot of time, like, uh 
really helping them like realize whether or not they're I don't know like am I really straight or am I like what does it mean for me like yeah, I, just... I, think, I think like for me if someone is really cool and I think that they're really cool and we're getting along and they're not bringing like mm, like very intense like gendered like dynamics into a relationship with me I think how they want to identify is kind of not my problem Mm -hmm. um and doesn't like affect me or how I see myself um but I think that like it's also fair to be like I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who is like continuing to identify themselves in a particular way like while we're together but I think like oh if we were continuing to be together but yeah but I I also think I mean we'll just like generally like would you date a straight person and you were like no and that's that's fair but I feel like it's pretty normal in the whole like non-binary and trans community for people to like be in relationships that do not line up with like how they or their partner identifies and that's because like gender is fake and we're all kind of like running through it so I think you you can't rely on someone to like validate you in your in your gender but um I like I think that you can you can make some choices about like what kinds of people you're okay with dating I think it's Mm -hmm. you're right to say that like bi men are not any like more likely to like perceive you as like what you are than like uh like a straight man like um you you just you kind of yeah you just gotta like suss out the vibes I feel like this is not the best advice but I don't think that they're really there's not like a checklist of like this person like respects you versus like this person does not and it's got nothing to do with like what you look like or what you're doing because like people get misgendered all the time like regardless of appearance because like the other person just has like a really like fucked up relationship to gender like mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's just like something you, you gotta trial and error it with but I would I would recommend like not using like sex and relationships as a way to like validate, validate yourself. yourself yeah because yeah, that's I mean, just like a good way to get your feelings hurt yeah. um, and to and to find like fucked up people. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, I, I don't think it really matters uh, like the amount of work you put in aesthetically for yourself, um, nor does it matter like uh, the exact like minutia of red flags that this person uh, is giving you about whether or not they are respecting your gender. Um, in the end, it is... Uh, it is mostly about intuition and it is about risk <laughs> um, when it comes to love, I think. Yeah, Emotional I think risk. it's, I mean, it's not, like, really physical. common. It's really common also for someone to like discover something new about their own sexuality, like through dating or being attracted yeah. to someone. So I don't know, you know, like vibes. I hope it's that vibes. was good advice. I'm sorry. I hope so. I really Kendall, do. your turn. Yeah, um, oh. uh, that was I a recently, serious question. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little warm. Oh, it makes me sad. Like, I just, well, I, I hope they, I hope they find 
what they want, what they need. <laughs> Just, you know, we're two they thems who talk about being they thems a lot. Yeah. So, um, I recently got through a pregnancy scare with no baby, and it made me realize that I wouldn't mind having a child at some point. How should I best go about choosing a baby daddy? I intend on collecting references and proof of employment, but I should should I also include an essay question? Love, eventual DILF. Hi, eventual DILF. Um, so your question seems to be more about the minutia of the application process <laughs> rather than like a strategy in and of itself. You seem like you have the strategy already. I'm going to assume that you're a Virgo um, based on references, proof of employment, and an essay question. Um, <laughs> what kind of essay question yeah. would would get you the answer to know if someone is going to make a good baby dad? As a Virgo, mm-hmm. Kendall, do you have any ideas? I mean, an essay question, I think, has to be broad enough to get an interesting answer, but specific enough to get an answer that you'd want. Um would it be like a job interview question? Like name a time that you like no, had to work through a, an obstacle. No, no, no. I think it, I think it would have to do. It would it would have to be a question that kind of embodies this person's parenting style, I suppose. Because um, like I feel like the the issue with having kids is that like um, that that comes up when like people start to get into fraught relationships is that they assumed that the other person had a like almost identical uh vision of like what parenting looks like and in fact they do not um okay essay so, question like, if, you're, if you have an essay question that's like the perfect way to figure it out i guess but like, essay question what's your favorite kanye album okay okay one thousand words or less which which one points to which ones? I should well, there's say. A, there's a few there's a few good answers. There's there's almost not wrong answers. Yay would be the wrong answer for sure. Um, but I think like mm-hmm. what I'm looking for is less about the destination and more about like the journey. Yeah, the journey. Like, explain to me why so, this is your favorite Kanye album. So, like, what would you think? automatically before they start like getting into their essay right off the bat if they said something like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or like even like the that's a that's an art hoe that's an art hoe which is i mean like me too for their parenting Um, style how does that like translate do you think uh so that's that's probably someone who's like mm, they're, they're gonna they're gonna do like some fun what's what's the kind of like the parent who like, like they apologize to their kids, you know, <laughs> right? Gentle parenting. <laughs> yeah, like 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 someone that's like, because there's I'm trying to like like an artsy kind of parent. Like they're naming their kids like after objects in nature, mm-hmm. and then when their kid reaches a certain age, then they're like, but maybe you could pick your own. But also, they're weird. They're so weird. like the the kids still gonna get fucked up a little bit because their parents like a little being, poorly socialized. Let's being say strange. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think yeah, I think that that's a question that gives you a lot of good answers. I don't like this is not how I would pick a baby dad. I think so. I'm a little bit out of my depth. 
I don't You're know the about, Virgo here. I don't know about, um, I guess proof of employment is important. Really? Um, you want to date someone with a job? Well, it's more just like having a baby is expensive. So like I do get it. Uh, That's not the only way that you could make money. References, I just don't know, like, because I lie about my references all the time. Well, also, like, is a baby dad reference, like, other people that that they've had kids with? I think it's just just friends who are like, yeah, I think that'd be okay. That'd be a Mm -hmm. solid choice. Because I don't know many friends who would do that. Who would write a whole letter to be like, yeah, you know what? This person's good to procreate with. I think, okay, all right. Here's my idea. You've got your candidates. Maybe you have, I think you should have a pool of like 10 or 15 people. Now, how many people does it take to form a basketball team? How, how many on each side? How many do you need? That's how many candidates you should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that you should stage like a, like a sort of like basketball tournament. Um, and then whoever the, the most valuable player is on the winning team, that's your baby dad. And then ask them what their favorite Kanye album is. But I if think we're going that gives stunts, you all the information you need to know. If we're going for stunts, I think we should do um, almost like a fairy tale situation where you order them all to get something impossible and then the person oh. comes back and is like, I have, I, I, like, where you're like, get me, like, like, the concept of courage or something. Or, like, mm. like, like, getting something, like, so much, so, like, ethereal that they can't so even, you like, like, grasp So, you, like, you stiltskin them. Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, a stiltskin situation. I do think that sending someone on a quest um, yeah. and then seeing, seeing who comes back, like, alive and, like, with the object that you you asked for, Sometimes especially if it's a confusing object. object. Maybe mm. they, they're just like, I like I don't have the object, but I have like my undying loyalty and servitude. Um, so they like went all the way there. Like they came back and they were like, I scoured high and low. I did everything and mm-hmm. I couldn't find it. That's just dedication. Yeah, I, but in, the, in that way, then the baby is kind of a participation trophy, mm. but... <laughs> I, well, I think like the, so many I, of these. I think the tales, idea of a, I think so the idea of an with like my queen. I brought back nothing but like my undying love, and then she goes, "You did it. You solved the riddle." Like True. the riddle in the end was like that friendship. actually like friendship, power of love type deal. Yeah, so, like, you're if right. They, if they went on an existential journey, much like Frodo and Sam Wise. Well, they better not be going on that kind of journey if they're going to be my baby dad. (laughs) You don't want you don't want a Frodo. Well, I don't want a Frodo that comes along with a Samwise. I want my own. This is the Mm -hmm. like the the ex with the sweater again. Okay, Uh, fair enough. I think think a quest is good. I think like yeah, send send them on a quest. Make them do stuff. Whoever comes back with. The stuff that they did. I think, like, just making people jump through hoops and, like, go through trials generally. It's good to test your relationships and see who's going to be there after you make them do annoying things and, and difficult things. So I respect this. Um, quest it is. Okay. One, we've got another one. Um, I need advice as a Scorpio who's on the apps. Every time I tell a cute girl my star sign, they unmatch. 
at this point, I'm beginning to think big astrology is conspiring against Scorpio specifically. What should I do? Um, I think that you should stay single because I'm always trying to, I'm trying to have all the Scorpios. And I think that everyone else, I, I think everyone else unmatching with them is like God kind of working to keep them all single for me. Mm-hmm. So you're collecting them like almost, almost like a Funko Pops in a way. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can't really understand why someone wouldn't want a Scorpio. They're I great. Think they've heard they've heard the basic advice from like an Instagram meme page that Scorpios are but like. Even the tricky. things that they say about them, they're like, oh, they're dark, they're twisted, they're scary. It's like that's not that's not hot to you. Some people like... just don't want an Edward Cullen. They don't, <laughs> they don't want that. <laughs> well they should they should work on that like if Mm -hmm. someone came up to me and they were like i'm a twisted fucking psychopath like (laughs) you you love the psychopaths you welcome welcome to my (laughs) fucked up mind like i'd be like yeah let's let's hear more about it tell me what's going on in there they'd be like it's so dark it's scary (laughs) don't take me to museums i scream in my sleep (laughs) i'll show you what a hurricane looks like Uh... (laughs) i think yeah i think as a scorpio you should lead into the stereotypes even more and then that way you'll attract the people who are into those traits and who collect the scorpios just as i do rather than the uh People who are too weak to handle you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play a voicemail. Okay. Hey, so um, I have a question. My partner and I went to the farmer's market the other day, and we ended up buying too many oranges. Uh, my partner decided to share them with our neighbors, but, like, what if my partner likes my neighbors more than me? I don't want him sharing. Uh, I guess my question is, am I the asshole? Anyway, big fan. <laughs> no. I don't think you're the asshole. Um, no, uh, I think you're so valid. I think you're Why? so valid. This is like the sweater all over again. Why are they giving stuff away? Honestly, this this reads like a like like a poem. I would I would see at a poetry night, and I would actually love. You know what? Mm. Like it'll be one of those poetry nights where like every single one was just like absolutely shitty, and then this one comes along, and I'm like, finally, some good fucking food, uh, literally. Um, Have you ever those... read Bart's Bart a Lover's Discourse? I don't know why I called him Bart's. Bart's. But I, I know things. Whatever. Have you ever Have you ever read it? Have you read that? Um, uh, not that one. No. Oh, it's my favorite. Um, you should read it. It's good. He's a Scorpio. He, he has is. a very Scorpionic approach to love, um, where everything is like really intense and like he's like like every other chapter like is describing um, like a facet of love, but really like the kind of love that only exists in a fucked up little man's mind and not like a a nice one. So one of them is like. I think I'm, I might need to die because they haven't like responded to my phone calls. Um, and then there's another chapter called like waiting and he's like the role of the lover as opposed to like the loved, um, is that you're always the one that waits. Like you sit in the cafe and you're like waiting for them to show up. You're like looking at your phone, waiting for them to call. I feel like I would add this orange example to that where it's like either you're the partner giving oranges away 
or you're the partner that wants to hoard the oranges as a symbol of your love. And I, I think that, I think they're valid. They're yeah, not, I mean, they're not the asshole. Listen, listen, a farmer's market orange hits, especially if it's in season. So, I mean, them giving it away to your neighbors. I mean, maybe we're just in a hyper individualist society that doesn't want community, but I don't want to share those oranges. I don't want to share them at all. And I don't want my partner sharing them. I, like, yeah, mine. I don't want my partner sharing anything. I want them to sit in a room and like only respond when I talk to them and probably not do anything besides spend time with me. Mm-hmm. Giving mm-hmm. the oranges away is a, is a symbol of something far worse. Do you want to do yeah, one, do, one I'll more? I'll do one more. Um... How do I make people fall at my feet with love and declare treason against their country of origin? So mm-hmm. you want Helen of Troy type love and I yeah. get it. Um, you know, she kind of, I think she kind of fumbled the bag to be honest um, in the end. Um, but I do think that there are ways that you can make people tremble at your feet. Um, I think, you know, a part of it is, is, People want what they can't have. Um, so like, uh, you know, I think, I think pulling the, 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 the cindere, uh, would be a great. <laughs> is that the one that I am or is that the one that you are? Which uh, one? No, I'm, you, you said I was yandere, which is. Well, uh, you assigned me one first yeah, and, and it was, I it just, was, I had cindere. to give you the opposite. Okay. Why is that me? Um, it's fair. It's, it's about like, uh, it's not like you, you want the other person to come to you first, you know, it's it's not like I like you or anything. Um, and then, but then you keep dropping hints that, that you let, that you absolutely do like them. I do love to drop hints. They must be, they must be hints. They cannot be overt. They have to be mysterious. Um, constant wondering. I think it sends men into agony. If you want people to fall at your feet, they must be filled with agony. I, I was going to say, reason. cultivate an air of mystery. And the other thing that Helen of Troy did that I think was kind of smart was uh, she pit people against each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can do that as well and like make it seem like the only way that someone can like captivate the totality of your attention is by like alienating themselves from everyone else. Um, which will put them in a vulnerable position where they only have you. And that's when you can then ask them to commit crimes and treason and stuff because they have so much to lose. I don't think this is a good model for a relationship, but Helen of Troy didn't have the best time mm-hmm. in the end. And I think sometimes it's, it's about what you can get done before things blow up. I think that's, <laughs> is that it is yeah, that it i mean it's it's about it's about agony and it's about, mm-hmm. it's about like if you want people to throw themselves at your feet you gotta you gotta really torture them a little bit first yeah you have to declare, make them suffer if they want to declare treason that's an extreme emotion that you have to build up to over time with airs of mystery pitting people against each other and um constantly dropping hints but they must they must be hints mm-hmm. no statements only hints 
looks, little looks, <laughs> dropping, dropping something and then like a little touch of the hand, you know? Little, like the smallest of hints, microcosms of moments where they just think it's a possibility, but it's a possibility that they have to work for. <laughs> I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. This, yeah, goodbye. Yeah, oh wait. See ya. Wait, before, we, before we do goodbyes, uh, did we want to do a little, uh, did we want to do a little look into the little like readings that we um, selected? Oh yeah. yeah, I did tell, I told Kendall to come prepared with readings of what yeah. is what is love. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kendall got distressed. Um, I, I only got distressed because I like reading uh First of all, I like reading and watching things about horror, um, monsters, um, <laughs> sci-fi, mm-hmm. and things that are not always like love-focused. Um, <laughs> so I don't always have everything on retainer. But one thing I do love, I love drama, I love devotion, and I love unending, undying romance um, if I can find it. But I'm very picky. So, um, I do have a couple of things. Um, okay. not all books or quotes from books, but some of them are. Um, and then some of them are some, some visual cues because as we know, I love, I love, I love movies and I love watching things. Um, and I like music. So <laughs> it's a collage. Um, well, what are they? Yeah, we have, um, so one of the books that I really like, um, I feel like we don't, I think we, you know, as like, I think everyone kind of focuses a lot on young love and, and younger, um, the aspirations towards love. And I'm, as somebody who's both a hypochondriac and, um, somebody who is now married and thinking, you know, towards like futures, um, it's interesting to think about the kind of devotion that it takes, um, for a couple towards the end of their life. Um, and one book that I absolutely love that brings me to my knees every single time is um, Elegy for Iris, which is um, a book by John Bailey about his wife, uh, Iris Murdoch, who you might know as the author for The Green Knight. Um, he was a writer and a critic. Um, he mostly did like writing criticism, like like literature criticism, and she was the, the writer. Um, and they go, it goes through their relationship, um, and his like, sort of, it transitions from their, his like very intense young love feelings about her and then transitions into talking about, um, the way that they, um, progressed in their relationship with her Alzheimer's. Um, there's a scene in the book in particular, um, in one of the early chapters where, um, you know, she's, she's kind of far into her Alzheimer's, um, and they go to the beach and she wants to experience like swimming in the ocean, but she won't take off her socks um, and refuses to says like that she wants to swim with her socks on. And as he's struggling with her to get her, get her to take her socks off um, this boat drives by uh, with two young people in it who are ostensibly a couple. And he muses on how to them, it must look so ridiculous. Um, This scene of this old man fighting with this old woman to get her to take her socks off. Um, and, you know, 
I, I that was one of those moments that truly made me like kind of just put the book down and just have a good cry um, because to me that was the most beautiful thing in the world to think about that kind of devotion you have to someone um, to uh, to care for them even in the moments where like um, you feel humiliated um, because in the end as you know as the boat drives by he realizes that they just don't know yet they're not aware of the gap um, between then and now. And I think that that's just like so overwhelming. <laughs> um, and the other book I recommend just cause I love, like I love drama um, is of course the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, <laughs> I love the Epic of Gilgamesh so much. I love it as like a love poem, I think. Um, oh shoot, I forgot to, do my little quotes for Elegy Virus. Because uh, one of my one of my favorite quotes for Elegy Virus is um, he's sleeping next to her as she's, uh, like after she's laid down for the night, again, deep into her Alzheimer's and realizing that he still loves her all the same. It is wonderfully peaceful to sit in bed with Iris reassuringly sleeping asleep and gently snoring. Half asleep again myself, I have a feeling of floating down the river and watching all the rubbish from the house and from our lives, the good as well as the bad, sinking slowly down the dark through the dark water until it is lost in the depths. Iris is floating or swimming quietly beside me. Weeds and larger leaves sway and stretch themselves uh, beneath the surface. Blue dragonflies dart and hover to and fro by the riverbank, and suddenly a kingfisher flashes past. It really reminds me a lot, this book of um, what Bell, ta Bell Hooks talks about and all about love of this idea of, of nurturing um, and the, the culmination of that at the end of your life. Um, you have this nurturing uh, soul beside you that even if you are not aware of their existence, sometimes um, they are there <laughs> and they'll be there. And oh my God, it makes me feel like I'm going to crumble into pieces right now. Um, <laughs> Hmm, that's cute. <laughs> There's something like that he's, you know, below the surface kind of keeping her up and above it. That's just like, ah, it makes me want to cry like right now. <laughs> are those your, are those your um, two? Yeah. Or, I also, okay, I, also I didn't love, want to talk over you. I also love Epic of Gilgamesh. It's a perfect poem. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously known as an epic, but I think of it as a love story. Um, especially all of the lines between him and Ignid. Um, you have known me, O Gilgamesh, what interests me to drink from the well of immortality, which means to make the dead rise from their graves and the prisoners from their cells, the sinners from their sins. I think love's kiss kills all, our heart of flesh. It is the only way to eternal life, which should be unbearable if lived among dying flowers and the shrieking farewells of the overstretched arms of our spoiled hopes." It's a tragedy, and yet it is also, like, um, the most, like, dramatic, <laughs> undying love between these two that I'm just, like, that is it. Like, Aw, those are good choices. It. Yeah. So, okay. I have, I have more than Kendall has, um, and I'm valid for that. Um, my first is the, this essay that's in the cut um, called, like, my my wife like taught me the meaning of having enemies. I love that. Um, and it's it's so good. It's like genuinely like what I believe that love should be like. I love the idea of um, 
you know, like getting into a relationship and then adopting every single person that that other person hates um, as your own hate and hating them as fiercely as as they hate them. Like that's that's dedication. That's love. Like that's what I want from someone that's what I'm willing to do for someone like I I do that for my my loved ones already like I'm kind of in a bully cule as um I think my friend sent me like something that that coined that term where just just like you you hate all the same people together in a group everyone that that Kendall hates I hate too mm-hmm. um, there's a, there's and a that's, devotion there I love that in the essay he also points out like how um it almost taught him how to like stand up for himself. Yeah, it's fulfilling. Well, because because the wife is living correctly, mm-hmm. and anyone that slights her even a little bit is like on the enemies list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like she also makes it her husband's problem. And I think that that's that's great. Like I have so many enemies too, um, because I have many of my own, and then I take on all of my friends. Um, and sometimes my friends don't even know that I've taken on people that I have assigned enemy for them because they're too nice and forgiving. But um, I, I don't forgive, and I don't, I don't forget. I think that forgiveness is like God's role, and it's not mine. Um, speaking of God, my next recommendation that I think is like a really great illustration of what it means to love is um, "Waiting for God" by Simone Weil. Um, this is more about like, I think what it means to like love yourself and what it means to like reflect God's love for other people in how you treat yourself and how you treat others. Um, there, it's a really good like collection of essays between Simone Bay and this like priest that she was talking to. Um, it's where that like classic quote on like love being attention comes from um and it's i think it's just like it's a it's a really fantastic read you don't need to be um a spiritual person or like be any kind of like religion to i think get something out of it it's just um it's like a really thought-provoking read because like simone day was like oscillating back and forth between christianity and judaism and like is dealing with a lot of her own like personal moral failings and struggles and um I think is like trying to ask the question of like how is it that like God can love me when I'm like so wretched and terrible um and then like learning how to transform the love that she feels like into how she treats others it's fantastic uh my next recommendation is also French sorry it's story of the eye by George Bataille so a kind of complete lane switch from the very nice um, Simone Vey story of the eye is about two freaky little perverts um, in France who are just doing absolutely nasty stuff to each other. Um, there's a whole scene where this girl's she's sitting in a bowl of milk and it's, it's sexy to the other person. None of it is really sexy to me, but I think it's a good read. And I think it, it does exemplify love in a, cert, a certain fucked up French twisted psychopath sort of way. <laughs> um, but Bataille has this like wonderful quote um, about like, I don't want your love unless you see me 
as repulsive and know me for who I am and love and love me for that, um, which is part of a short story that he wrote that is absolutely about a very repulsive person. <laughs> um, but I, I think that, that it's, it's kind of like a good call to like what, what you want um, out of a lover and actually kind of goes back to what we were talking about with like radical politics earlier, where it's like, you can't really know, you can't really love someone unless you know them exactly for who they are and, and like that about them. Um, so there's, you know, it's just like, there's love for the, for the psychopaths out there. There's love for the French. Um, next is a lover's discourse by Bart, which I also have already recommended. It's so good. It's probably like my favorite book, actually. Um, each essay is, is really fun to read. Um, and Bart is so fucking melodramatic. He's, he's having a a really like fucked up time. Um, and like, I think I, I can just like appreciate him like reading into all of these little signs where he's like their hit their hand like brushes my leg. Like, what does it mean? And he's like, I'm suffering. Do they know that I'm suffering? It's their fault. Uh, <laughs> I am in agony. I am in constant agony. He's like, I didn't leave my room for two days because you said that you were going to call me. So I stood and waited by the phone. <laughs> and I was afraid that if I got up, that I would get up at the right moment that you called me. So I didn't leave. I love you. Like, that's great. Fantastic. Uh, final one is uh, Bell Hooks is all about love. I think that Bell Hooks' definition of love is like served me very well and is something that I use as like a guideline for um, how I want to receive love and how I want to give it to other people and is something that I use to like hold myself accountable um, both in situations where I think like someone is is not acting towards me in a loving way or when I could be more loving to someone else and I think that it's one of those books that like really everyone everyone should read it should be required reading um and i think that like no matter where you are in your life you're going to get something good out of it because um bell hooks is just like a genius um and there's there's a lot of really good information in there um and i think encourages you to like think about love um in a very practical way that like acknowledges the reality of like patriarchy and racism um unlike the ethical slut <laughs> unlike the ethical slut yeah i mean um, like I but said, it doesn't but it doesn't tell you exactly what to do either mm-hmm. which i think is is really nice it gives you like principles to keep in mind but how you want to incorporate those into your life is up to you um and i i think that there are so many different ways to live out the ideals that she she spells out there, and I don't think that any of them are wrong. Um, and I I think that that's what makes it like perfect to me is that like maybe someone might go into it wanting like a step by step guide of like how to love in a way that like fosters other people's like personal and spiritual growth, but I think it, it's actually better that she doesn't tell you how to do that, um, but like tells you what values um you should hold and like what you should expect from others 
Um, and that's a and very, then it lets you make your own decisions. It's a very difficult thing to write as well. Um, like we said yeah. at the beginning of this episode, we hate self-help books. Um, so like, like we don't want something that goes into a step-by-step guide, um, mainly because I just don't think it like applies <laughs> to, to everyone. Um, there's so much advice that, um, like, yeah, there's the basic advice that even like Jordan Peterson gives of like, clean your room, you'll feel better. <laughs> Do, uh-huh. like take some deep breaths um but like there's a certain amount of just like holding values for yourself that um you just don't get a guide on and like I remember the first I said this in the main episode but I remember the first time I read all about love and like the it felt like several wires in my brain just finally like connected totally totally like, I like something about like the like just the like I've really held true to um the idea of love being nurturement in all of my personal personal relationships mm-hmm. um and i feel like a lot of people right now that are saying like cut toxic people out of your life but have absolutely <laughs> like no basis of like what toxic means yeah is, like, also okay like this is such a duh like yeah you know you read this and you say it out loud and it's like yeah of course but it was so huge for me to internalize this when I read it, where Bell Hooks is like, so there will always be people who do things that cause you to hurt. And they say that the reason that they're doing it is because they love you, or they say that they love you and they are doing these things. And she's like, and like categorically, that is not love. Like, that's not a loving action. And, like, there is no time where, like, someone, like, causing you pain, like, needs to be tied to how you receive love. Um, And that doesn't mean that you need to, like, cut off this person. Maybe it's, like, something for them to work on. Like, it really depends on, on what that thing is and, like, how big of a hurt it is. But just, like, there's never a time where you need to, like, accept that as, like, part of what love is and it is like a very obvious thing to say out loud but I think that it is a harder thing to like practice and also to to practice like in in your own like actions to other people like you can't be like lying or like manipulating or you know hiding things from someone and then also saying like that this is a person that you like love and care about like um you both like owe each other the truth and um yeah it's just it's so good everyone's got to read it yeah yeah i really i really believe that and, and you know it's ob- it, it might seem like obvious advice but it's once again it just points to her 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 writing talent that um cuz i feel like a lot of it is obvious advice of like be yourself blah 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 like that's the kind of stuff that her writing gets watered down in a lot when people uh, make inspirational Instagram square quotes of her mm-hmm. work um, that sometimes misquote her in general. But like when you read it in its full context, you realize that like she is articulating it in a way that points to your material conditions rather than tells you um, that it is your individual like um it is because of your individual ability or inability. It's yeah. a, it's a mixture of both, like something that you can 
hold as a value um, and something that um, is unfortunately inflicted upon you. Um, and I think that that's something that can absolutely be um, essential for literally anyone. <laughs> Damn, we got real sincere yeah. behind the paywall. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I totally forgot. I had I had some movies for you to watch on Valentine's Day because um, I because I, I I feel like the romance genre gets a bad rap because um, it's full of crap. Um, but there's some uncrap in there. Um, and I think that there's there's it's just so good. OK, so number one out of all of them in the mood for love. This movie is a is just a great it's a great fucking movie. It is beautiful to look at it is an ultimate romance story basically these two um this this man and woman who both live in the same apartment building um find out in like the same day that um their spouses are cheating on them with each other and then they go through the day uh just kind of spending the day together and they fall in love and just it's mostly like a an almost like an emotional tone poem <laughs> in the way that it goes about like depicting it it's it literally will make you openly sob it is gorgeous to look at it's a it's it's not a rom-com it's a it's just a pure romance watch in the mood for love please um <laughs> i'm begging you um everyone knows this movie but i do think it's like just a really human movie um when harry met sally once again the power of being friends for like a, like for over like 10 years um, and then getting together in the end. And I've said this to people, I've talked to some of my friends before, like it's, it's technically, you know, it's, it's Meg Ryan and um, Billy Crystal. So it's technically straight people, but honestly the relationship could be played by literally anyone. It is so applicable to um, like the, the idea of like, um, knowing someone for so long and, and having them like define your life and not even really realizing that that was love, like pure, pure love up until a certain moment where it just comes to a head and you both realize like you cannot live without that other person in your life. Um, and I think that that was, it, it, it's a very human movie and I really like that about it. Um, Another human movie that isn't talked about enough is Enough Said. Um, it's a, it has a lot of, like, the rom-com tropes in it, but I love a good rom-com that's about, like, slightly older people. Um, it stars the late, great James Gandolfini, and I'll be, I'll be vulnerable behind a paywall. He's hot in this movie, okay? <laughs> but basically, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, like, his foil in this movie. He, um, she's, like, a masseuse. And she, one of her clients is, um, as she starts dating him, then she realizes one of her clients is his ex-wife. And she starts getting all of these, um, like, little tidbits and, like, sort of half-truths from the ex-wife about, like, her perspective on their marriage without telling either of them that um, <laughs> she's getting these, like, tidbits from her. Uh, so she starts kind of applying those tidbits to the current relationship that she has with him. And you sort of realize along with her as it like snowballs that like how much of a mistake it is to apply um, your current relationship to that of the previous relationship that this person had, but also just to allow other people to insert themselves into your relationship on purpose 
willingly without communicating with either party. Um, so I think it's a really interesting, like, kind of look into relationships um, for a rom-com. So I thought it was really interesting. Um, everyone knows Punch Drunk Love. Adam Sandler should just keep doing dramas, like, or dramedies forever. And then I'll be happy. Um, and of course, Monsoon Wedding. If you haven't seen Monsoon Wedding, um, you should. <laughs> that's that's the end of my statement. I don't like giving spoilers for the last two because I think they're classics. And if you haven't seen them yet, you probably just should. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that that gives people a lot to do for Valentine's yeah. Day. We've given you so many recommendations. We've given so much advice. Um, you should like send us an email or like comment um, if there are like things that you want us to like read and talk about because we might do it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I think we we can let you all go. Yeah. All right. And say say good night, pay pigs. Good night. I don't want smoke. I just want smoke. Cock is one of my favorite tastes. I don't want smoke, I just want to smoke. The American when I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Not only smoke, that, I feel like a ball smell amazing. Yeah, I like green because it makes me lean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When I hit the then it's time to smoke. They are dangerous people. Like, I cannot get it far enough down my throat to be satisfied. I don't want smoke. I'm only satisfied when I feel those intense, powerful, salty, hot pumps of cum down my throat. I don't want smoke, I just want to smoke. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic.